We have the word open to Nehemiah chapter 8. Os Guinness, an influential Christian thinker and writer, said at a recent conference, The world's future hinges on three questions. Will Islam modernize peacefully? What religion or ideology will replace Marxism in China? And will Western civilization return to its roots? Dr. Guinness noted in an interview, We are nearing the climax of the centuries-long attempted secularist takeover from the Jewish and Christian faiths as the defining faiths of the West. But many of the problems in our culture are of our own making. So our concern should be for repentance and restoration. If we were what we are called to be, we would have nothing to fear. And any mounting anti-Christian discrimination would be bracing. If we engage the country with integrity, we will not be silenced and our influence will be healthy. Guinness's call is for revival. The pastoral transition we have embarked upon demands a revived church. Planning, meetings, all that Dan and the search team are doing and leading us in, all of our hopes and prayers for a smooth transition, all of those things are very, very important, but they are not enough. In the coming months, you will be challenged with a fresh vision for evangelism, for drawing together in community among yourselves and then to minister to the community. How will you respond? Uh, you will have a bundle of expectations of the new pastor, and rightly so. But I need to tell you that in calling him, he will come as the lead pastor of Faith Baptist Church, also anticipating certain expectations and realities. He will be assuming that you are eager to band together under the Lordship of Christ to grow, to serve, and to go. The history of revival is one of the most intriguing subjects of Scripture and church history. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the term revival. I grew up in a mountain church. And for us, uh, revival was pretty much a community experience. A scheduled time of meetings, usually in the fall and in the spring, where a fiery evangelist was called in and soul-stirring music and and great preaching. And it was directed toward um, non-church people. Anybody, some of you don't know about this, do you? (laughs) 
<laughs> How many of you remember that this era? How many is a part of this era? Uh, I came to Christ in a, in a revival uh, when I was 11 years old. However, revival has nothing to do with non-churched people directly. It is a work of God in, among, and through his people. Uh, There's a quote in your listening guide. Let me share it with you. A definition of revival. A visitation from God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. All this ushers in a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart in repentance, praise, and love with an evangelistic overflow. My friend Harold Vaughn says, revival is waking up to who is living inside of you. Periodic personal revival is a divine necessity, an absolute necessity. You see the prayer of the psalmist, Lord, will you not revive us again that our hearts may rejoice in you? A brother went to a prayer meeting every week. He went for years. He always stood in that prayer meeting and he would say in the presence of others there, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. And everybody there who knew him knew he was just a crotchety old rascal. (laughs) And that was his prayer every week, same prayer. And, And finally, in the meeting, he stood up and said the very same thing. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. And somebody in the back yelled, Don't fill him, Jesus. He leaks. That's the story of the human condition, isn't it? Buffeted from without, from pressures from a wicked culture, the intrigues of the evil one, and on the inside a fallen, unredeemed nature, the old nature. And amid our best intentions and our best efforts, we leak. There's a principle in the physical world that says everything tends downward. Uh, You see it in the mirror. You see it in the vehicle you rode in or drove onto the parking lot in. Even the, the sun is burning out. Boy, isn't that good news. But since the fall, it's been true in the spiritual world. And revival among God's people, listen, revival among God's people has saved nations from self-destruction. The late Justice Antonin Scalia said recently, I sit on a court watching laws being made for a country I increasingly do not recognize. G.K. Chesterton, a saucy very well-known person in Britain a generation ago, said this, there have been at least five times in history when the faith has from all appearances gone to the dogs. 
In each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. What happened? God visited his people with spiritual revival. Revival in the time of the Wesleys saved Britain from a French-style revolution. The American Revolution was fueled by two great awakenings in the 1730s and 40s. During the Civil War, are you aware that revival fires erupted in the Confederate Army and thousands came to Christ? In a dynamic book titled Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave, the author has a chapter about Darwin and his doctrine of evolution. Look at these charts. The first one says at the bottom, if you can't read it, what the scientist thinks he sees in viewing history. That is, things are getting better and better, right? Evolution will bring about ultimately a perfect humanity, a perfect world, a utopia. Look at this one. What the scientist really sees One little sliver of history. The third caption reads, The actual course of history as it has transpired and will unfold. This is a biblical interpretation of history and the future. But this is the one that excites me. This is why I show you the charts. The fourth represents an anomaly an exception. And the caption reads, the exception to cultural deterioration, Christian cultural impact. Now folks, what you are seeing there is not the presence of a church that names Jesus Christ. It is the presence of a vital church, a living church, a revived church that actually changes the direction of a society. Revival is a prominent cord weaving its way through both testaments. Now, the numbers differ, but by most accounts, there are seven or eight distinctive revivals in the Old Testament. One of the most notable in the Bible and in history is this revival at the Watergate. One contemporary scholar says this is one of the most joyful and spectacular celebrations of the work of God known in the Old Testament. And one historian actually attests that this revival set the stage and kept Israel on track for four centuries until Messiah arrived. One event at the Watergate. After months of praying and planning and 60 days of construction and intense heat and searing opposition from within and without, the wall of Jerusalem is finally reconstructed. The gates are set, the enemies are discouraged, and for the first time in over a century, think of this, for the first time in over a century, One could walk down the streets of the holy city without fear. For the first time in over a century, you could let your kids go out and play. 
A restored wall meant unprecedented economic opportunities. But Nehemiah's mission is not complete. There is the passing of the baton to this man named Ezra. Things were better than they had been in generations now. There was security, there was peace, there was prosperity, but yet in the depths of their hearts, the people realized there was a void. They desperately needed and came to long for spiritual revival. Revival answers the question, why? It addresses God's purposes. It addresses the question of why am I here anyway? What are God's purposes? Although revival is a sovereign, gracious work of God, there is an environment you find whenever and wherever revival occurs. This has been true for centuries. And you find all three of those elements here in the Watergate revival. First notice, there is the confession of sin. Verse 9, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. There is a repentance that goes on. The spring after I arrived in Bible college, uh, God visited the campus with revival. All-night prayer meetings just broke out spontaneously. Chapel services scheduled for an hour went two and three hours. Classes were canceled. It was marked by a time of, of the confession of sin. It was amazing. It was a time of getting right with other people. And, you know, when you live in the dorm, there are always things you can get right about. You know, Mary and I got married to get out of the dorm, okay? I confess that 43 years later. Kids were getting right, man. It it was incredible. This this actually happened. One of the speakers during those chapel services said, listen, you need to go to those you have resentment toward. You need to go to them. And after the service, there was a long line uh, in front of one professor who was sitting down here. Okay, Uh, we've all been there, haven't we? (laughs) But it was a time of confession. And the people at the wall became so aware of their sin, they cried out to God. Revival comes when you become discontent with where you are now spiritually. When you become discontent with your walk with the Lord. Revival comes when you won't settle for anything less. When desire becomes passion, in the words of Jacob, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Revival comes when we get still long enough for God to speak to us. When we put down our technology and listen to him, when we stop making excuses, justifying, or simply not dealing with it. Revival means taking the mask off, getting transparent, truthful, humble before God. It begins with confession of sin. Then revival is always marked by a return to the authority of God's word. 
And revival is marked by a renewal of worship, personal, expressive worship. What marked this worship? You talk about a service to be in. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces uh, to the ground. Make-A-Wish Foundation is one of the most amazing charities in America. Founded in 1980, it's an organization of extraordinary people that seek to grant wishes to children with life-threatening illnesses, also teenagers. One website touts 180,000 wishes granted, one every 38 minutes. One chapter reports in a recent year, uh, 53 asked for a trip to Disney World, five a vacation to Hawaii, four asked to meet a celebrity, eight asked for a shopping spree, three asked for a a cruise, and there's a whole list. Uh, Playground equipment, computer, travel, the list. Think of it. All they had to do was make a wish. I want you to imagine our sovereign God granting you a spiritual wish, one longing of your heart. What would you wish for? If your answer is, Pastor, I would wish for a closer walk with him than I have ever known before. I want more than anything to know the Lord better. I wish before anything else that the Lord would stir my heart anew with a sense of his love and his grace and his wonder and his purpose for me. And above everything else I would ask, my first heart's desire would be that he would use me, maybe in unprecedented ways, to glorify him, to make a difference where I am, where I spend my week, where I spend my time. If I have described your answer and your request, then you are a candidate for revival. Prayer is always the beginning point. I don't know why God has ordained it to be such. That's true. Every revival begins as a spark of prayer in individual hearts. Folks, the Wednesday evening prayer groups should be overflowing with people seeking God at this juncture of your church. Continuing to uplift the search team. The process. And as you anticipate the future. People should be setting aside time in your busy, busy lives. Just to meet together spontaneously. To pray. And to pray for revival. Why so often in the American church do we have to program everything? I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to pray where you are. I want to invite you to come and pray. I'm going to step down here out of the way in just a moment. 
Matthew's going to lead us in a song, and he's going to put the lyrics up here, but it's not really a congregational song. If you want to sing, you do that. But above all, I call us to prayer. Individual needs, individual burdens. Praying for your church. Pray for Mary and me. We need your prayers. This is the most, we haven't seen a transition like this in almost 40 years. I was scheduled a month ago to be in Uganda today. But the circumstances have worked out with everything that's going on that I needed to to back out of that. The message today from this passage of Scripture is a renewed call to prayer and a call for personal revival.